now that we've had the years of people working from home remotely, things you thought were impossible turn out to be possible. Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Slack's founder and CEO, Stuart Butterfield. He'll talk about transforming work and the mindset that can save teams billions of hours. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. You have to ask yourself, what else, what other assumptions do I have that aren't necessarily true? What would you change about how you work if you could? Stuart Butterfield has thought a lot about this question. He is the founder of Slack, the massively popular messaging tool that has reshaped how teams communicate. The pandemic fueled that change even further as companies ditched offices and learned new ways to navigate time zones and how they got things done. More changes on the way, however, including a likely global recession. This new disruption, one where quarterly expectations might be low, can be a unique moment to continue transforming how we work, continuing to experiment, ditching old processes once and for all this time, and pulling new resources into what will really pay off regardless of the economic climate, the time and training to help teams communicate effectively and solve problems. Meet the Leader caught up with Stuart at the annual meeting in Davos, where he shared how his philosophy background helps him navigate uncertainty and how rethinking work basics like meetings could save workplaces billions of hours each year. He'll talk about all of this and the Slack tips he can't work without. But first, he'll talk about the disruptions to come and how leaders can navigate them. I think it's an enormous opportunity to make changes that might, in the course of normal business, be too difficult or too too painful to make. And when I say crisis in, in this context, I mean, definitely the, the pandemic, which just kind of wraps everything. But war, inflation, the markets tanking, a lot of uh, business leaders here have tens of thousands, some cases hundreds of thousands of employees who really feel on edge. I think that also means that they're more open to, to fundamental changes. And I work at Slack, obviously, so I have a slightly more narrow focus. But I use this analogy. Let's see if it works with you. So I'm not a really big sports fan. However, you imagine we're watching the World Cup and we have a big screen in here and I press pause uh, and then start stepping through it frame by frame. Every player on both teams is constantly readjusting their position, their momentum, their signaling to one another. They're taking in the, the situation, where the ball is, uh, how fast people are moving, where their opponents are. And if you think about the resources that are available to those players to complete their objectives, like their physical bodies, the short twitch muscle fibers, the glucose of their bloodstream, all of their uh, talent and experience, Almost all of it is effectively utilized in the accomplishment of their objectives. And the objective is just put the ball in the net more than the other team does to you. When I look around most companies, and this is not a, a criticism, I think this is really the standard, what percentage of the intelligence, creativity, talent, experience of all the employees is actually being effectively applied towards the accomplishment of goals? And it's probably 10%. You know, it's it's very, very low because it's very, very difficult to coordinate people. And it's not truly a, a fair comparison because the football players play the same game every single time. There's only 11 of them. There's not thousands. Their objectives are very, very clear and obvious, whereas most large companies take 
you know, three months to even come up with the objectives for, for next year, three months of, of debate. So I don't want to suggest that we, that we should be at 90, 95%. But I do think that 15 or 20% is possible for a lot of organizations. And the magnitude of that impact would be really amazing. So in the context of Slack, we think about communication and automation and integration of different software services. But just to kind of frame it, if you look back over the last 60-ish years, we've slowly advanced the frontier of what computers can do for people. And first it was things that computers are way better than people. So doing arithmetic really fast without making any mistakes and remembering things forever. And as we've kind of progressed, that, that frontier of whatever is automatable advances with us. But there's still a huge amount of mindless, repetitive work that, that knowledge workers have to do over the course of the day. And you can recognize it when you see one window open on a computer computer and with a bunch of information and another window open on the other side of the computer where someone's typing out basically the same information to another window. It's a huge amount of people's time. And so those opportunities to automate are really significant. Wrapping it all up, it's difficult to imagine better alternatives. It's difficult to get people to change. I mean, there's a whole discipline of change management inside of large organizations. But if we were ever going to take the opportunity, now that we've had the years of people working from home remotely, now that we've kind of established that, that that's possible, things you thought were impossible turn out to be possible. You have to ask yourself, what else, what other assumptions do I have that aren't necessarily true? The leaders are just as burnt out as their staff. And so if they were looking to tap into the creativity of their team or make their team 10, 15 more percent uh, effective, efficient, um, where should they be looking? What would be the before and after in their teams that would make a big change? It's a great question because that's obviously the challenge. Because if it was easy or, or free, then everyone would have already made those changes. Part of it is the incentives that we have as human beings just by virtue of our own psychology. Some of them are business-specific sociological uh, incentives that are get created. So just as an example, everyone wants more people to report to them, uh, no matter what their job is, because there's just an obvious correlation that everyone is you know, demonstrated to people all the time. There's more power, there's more prestige, there's more money to be made if you have more people. And as an organization, you probably want the opposite. You want to say, like, let's hire as a last resort. Only when objectives are as clear as they could be and everyone understands the role and the processes are streamlined and the team is functioning at a very high level and there's a lot of trust, only then do you add people. Because if you add people first, then all those things become much harder to improve it or to solve for. So... Part of it is that. Part of it is everyone complains about meetings where there's someone presenting at you and just reading the slides as they appear on the screen because everyone can read faster than the other person can talk. And yet it happens and it's you know tens of millions of people's experience every single day. So you start to think about hundreds of millions of hours over the course of a couple of months, billions of hours over the course of a year tend to be well-compensated people. So the percentage of GDP that's impacted, it, it could be like, several whole digit percentages that you're like in the trillions of, of dollars. And we need to find ways to counteract that. And I'll give you, you know, maybe something a little bit more concrete. Which meetings could be replaced with asynchronous work? So rather than everyone stops what they're doing at 1029 AM so that we can join the 1030 call and 
be fair. Some of the people, at least, don't have any interest in this topic, don't have anything to contribute. They're just there because it's set in their calendar and they hadn't given it any forethought. And so they're not really in a position to contribute. Some of those, I think, are important. Like some live discussions are, are really important, but some of them would be much better if people put some effort into a written form or even a recording a video. I definitely don't want to be promotional about Slack, but one feature that we recently added is called clips. And so it's a video people upload. The advantage of the recording a video and sending it to you versus you and I getting on a, a video call at the same time is that we can do it at different times. You know, I could be a night owl and you could be someone who gets up really early. You could have childcare responsibilities or you know, whatever it is. You can pause it. You can go to the bathroom in the middle. You can speed it up to 1.5x if someone talks really slow. We can generate a transcript of everything that was said and people can skim the transcript find a part that's interesting to them, click on that and jump to that point in the video. And that's something that, that Slack's doing, but there's hundreds of, of companies that are starting to really deliver some innovative features. And we have to train people to use it. We have to tell them to use it because otherwise you do get stuck in the same habits. That stuff might not sound impactful, but if you could get rid of a third of meetings, again, collectively, you're talking about billions of hours of, of people's time per year. You mentioned, um questioning assumptions. Is there an assumption that you've questioned recently that's led to a change in just uh, how you lead at Slack or how you think about things at Slack? You know, one recurrent conversation uh, that I had, and actually on my walk over to the, <laughs> to the studio, I just had an hour-long conversation with someone about employee activism. I think most people would probably, if they don't describe themselves as stakeholder capitalists, they're at least sympathetic to that idea. And they, you know, most people want to be good people. But there's a very strange kind of phenomenon where talking more about the U.S., uh, I think the same thing is true to a certain extent in Europe, maybe less so in, in Japan, uh, less so in China, but we're often divorced from our roots. Very few people live in the same town that they grew up in. Very few people live close to their family. Very few people have strong religious traditions. So all of the things that, that would have anchored us, you know, five or 10 generations ago aren't there. And then people look elsewhere for leadership and for their identity. And we spend an enormous amount of time at work. So work becomes one of those places. And there's now an expectation of leaders that there's more or less an immediate response to whatever happened today. You know, and, and last night, was a really terrible school shooting in the U.S., you know, and, and a lot of people are parents, a lot of people, it's like their worst nightmare. And it's really difficult to imagine that stuff. And um, people end up very upset and, and, and distracted. And there is an expectation. People look to their uh, employer, not necessarily for guidance, but for kind of confirmation that the values align with the employee. But anyway, any organization of any size has employees who have conflicting values. So it becomes more and more challenging and um, a bigger and bigger preoccupation. So I'm not sure if that's something that I've, I've changed my mind on, but it's something that like there's kind of a continual struggle with how best to support people and manage the business and find the right balance between you know, being a human and being someone who's responsible for the company. You have a degree in, in philosophy. Does this sort of help you as a tool to sort of uh, navigate some of this uncertainty or some of these things where you're, maybe there's no clear answer on, you know, how should you think about people's identification with work or uh, mm -hmm. how you know people are you know, maybe the depending more on their workplace for uh, different things. How does that background sort of help you as a tool to uh, navigate this? Philosophy is, is a little bit of this, but it's also just a, a bunch of adjacent areas of inquiry, sociology and, and psychology, also economics. Two things that I think have served me well 
are really deep thinking about what is going on in the mind of the other person and what kind of incentives have been created and what kind of behaviors are being rewarded. Because sometimes we can get frustrated with people and everyone gets frustrated with, with others in their, their lives. And it's, it's usually because you can't think of a motivation that isn't something negative or, or destructive. And there's that old saying, uh, you shouldn't ascribe to malice that which could be uh, ascribed to ignorance. Ignorance doesn't sound that great either. <laughs> um, but really trying try to understand what is motivating people, um, I think, is, is very important. And the other one, this is a more recent realization. I draw these graphs all the time for people in the product team. And this is a podcast, so it's weird for me to describe a graph, but it's actually pretty simple. The x-axis, the horizontal, is the quality of something. And the y-axis is the amount of value that someone uh, gets from it. And so you imagine, draw a line that's very shallow and very flat, and then suddenly gets very steep and then flattens out. Because the simple example is, if you have a hammer and the handle is so weak that it breaks, but every time you use the hammer, then it's just junk. And you could improve the handle to make it a little bit stronger. But if it's still too weak to withstand the, the actual use, that's still kind of useless. So you look at that graph and it goes, you know, useless, 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 kind of okay, suddenly fine, great. And then after that, it doesn't really matter. You can make the, you know, uh, an invincible hammer that could never be broken by anyone. And to me, almost everything in life has this nonlinear relationship because the behaviors that you care about, does the employee stay? Does the customer buy? Does the candidate accept your offer? All those things are binary outcomes, but the inputs are all continuous. And so people talk about the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, you never know when something's at the 49% level and it only needs to get to 51 um, or whether you're, you're down at 20. So starting to think about the cumulative impact of like, of a, like a really full spectrum or, or holistic view of what's influencing the, the decision making, especially when we're struggling we, we collectively with attrition, with people kind of reimagining what they want to do with their lives, what their purpose is, where they want to work. I think you need to take into account the incredible variety of factors that influence those kind of decisions. Uh, at Slack, you guys have probably a very unique perspective on using digital platforms and hybrid work. <laughs> Is there something that you think people are overlooking that's a, a way that they can maximize it or even a best practice that's worked for Slack? Mm -hmm. um, you know, something that, you know, if everybody did this, it would be great. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got two things. So one, just a thought experiment. If you go back to March of 2020 and in this other parallel universe, you could go to the office, you could commute, you could use conference rooms, business travel was fine. Like all of those things could still happen, but your software was taken away, then more or less every company would have just disintegrated. Like it would, they couldn't even last 24 hours. We were able to kind of keep going and, and there was a lot of stuff going on in people's lives, like the, you know, the actual impact on the pandemic and being locked up and all this political upheaval and, and stuff like that. But most, most organizations, um, unless they were like directly impacted, like a hotel business or something like that, they did fine. So at some point in the last several decades, there was an inversion that happened where the digital HQ, and I know that sounds like a marketing term, but I just mean the digital infrastructure that supports productivity and collaboration. The digital HQ actually became more important than the physical HQ. But if I look back over the last decade for me, and I add up all the time I spent on real estate leases and office buildouts and conference room design and seating charts and like all of that stuff, compared to how much thought I put into 
how to help people become more effective communicators, how to help people run more efficient meetings, how to instill in them uh, a good set of guidelines for how to use communication tools and all of that. The ratio is, is totally wrong. It's inverted. It's, you know, it's 10 to one. It should be one, one to 10. So the second thing, little rhetorical trick is, you know, the Amazon six page memo format and they, you know, so they put it all in writing and then everyone reads, starts the meeting and reads it. The reason you say yes and every single person I ask says yes is because there's so few examples of people even trying to improve how we're spending those billions of hours a year. And so the examples of where people do try something really, really stand out. You put those two together and the, the opportunity that I think people have is to just invest more in even if it's a, the employee onboarding process, uh, training courses, it could be certifications. You don't want to get too bureaucratic about it, but uh, actually setting some guidelines and some policies because there usually aren't. You know, at, at most organizations, there, there's maybe a sign up on the, the TV in the conference room, the kind of the default screen that says, please end your meetings on time and be courteous to the next person by cleaning up your trash yeah. or something like that. But nothing about like, don't have 25 people in the meeting if you only need 15, even that level. Is there a, a favorite uh, Slack feature that you have that, you know, people maybe overlook, they don't know about that you're like, gosh, if everybody did this, their, their, their usage would be, <laughs> we could get to that 10 to 15% better. Oh, there's so many little things. And you know, you watch someone who's very inexperienced with the computers and they're editing a text document and they slowly move the mouse up to the top and they click on edit, and then they slowly move the cursor over the menu items, and they choose copy, and then they move the, you know. So the equivalent of that in Slack is a shortcut called Command-K, Windows Control-K, and it just lets you switch between the channels and direct message conversations and everything you could be looking at in Slack, and it's so painful to go manually find the channel in the long list. It's overwhelming if you don't do that, so there's a pair Command K and then um, hiding channels that don't have any unread activity. So there's nothing new, just hide it from me. I don't, I don't see it. And that changes people's experience of Slack where I get to decide whether this is important to me or not. And most of the time I go to a channel when I have a question or someone mentions me, but I don't need to look at it otherwise. I could go on literally for hours about this. But <laughs> so one other like very, very basic thing is most people are familiar from uh, Facebook and Instagram of if you mention someone's name, then they'll get a notification. And that ability, the culture or etiquette that you build up around mentioning people's names is really important. Because if I trust that anytime something requires my attention, someone will mention me, then when I come back uh, from vacation and there's 200 channels that are unread, if there's no mentions, I don't have to look at any of them. You know, because there was no, no one pointed it out. Or if you don't have that culture, if you don't have the expectation that people will mention you if something requires your attention, suddenly you have to look through all 200 of these channels to see if there's anything that's relevant to you. And that really shifts the experience. But we are working on lots of, you know, I'm talking about like 2015 stuff. We're working on a lot of great stuff today. And I'm actually pretty optimistic about the industry and the, the group of software companies that are working on collaboration because I just think we've learned so much in the last two years. And it takes a while for that to filter into the products, but I think we're going to have a, a pretty exciting roadmap um, and we're going to have the opportunity to make bigger improvements over the next couple of years. If leaders could do one concrete thing to help their teams for the future of work, what should they be doing? 
if there's one thing that certainly I continually need to work on as a leader and, and it kind of never ends is the amount of repetition of the message that is necessary to, to kind of create alignment across the organization. It's always you know, when you're absolutely sick of hearing yourself say the same thing, that it really begins to, to sink in because humans are really hard to organize and, and coordinate and, and align. But when they are, you can get so much more accomplished than when people are kind of pointing in different directions and pushing it in different directions. That was Stuart Butterfield. Thanks so much to him. And thanks so much to you for listening. This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with editing by Jerry Johansson and studio production by Gareth Nolan. For a transcript of this episode or any of the episodes from my sister podcasts, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast, check out wef.ch slash podcasts. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.